0: Welcome to the show, folks. It is Tuesday. I am David Hanson. We are continuing our week of interviews. We have an interview that uh, Motley Fool co-founder and CEO Tom Gardner did with board of directors member of Whole Foods Market Bud Sorensen. Hope you enjoyed the interview. We're here in Austin, Texas with Ralph Bud Sorensen, probably a name you haven't heard of, but Bud has sat on the board of Whole Foods since 1994, Um, I've got a long list of things here on my iPhone, and it's worth hearing all of them about the work that you've done. Uh, Bud, uh, the president of Babson College, uh, the dean of the Colorado Business School, um, chairman and CEO of Barry Wright Wright. Corporation in uh, uh, NYSE in the 1980s, 13-year adjunct faculty member at Harvard Business School, regular faculty member member at Harvard Business School, former director of Federal Reserve Bank of Boston, uh, director at Eaton Vance Mm
1: -hmm.
0: EMC, Mm-hmm. Houghton Mifflin,
1: mm-hmm.
0: Boston Globe,
1: mm-hmm. Polaroid, Polaroid,
0: and uh, probably a half dozen other companies, head of Colorado's Nature Conservancy.
1: Not head of, but... Colorado is represented with the National Trustee Council. Yeah, That
0: sounds like the head to me. And so, no, but and yeah. Sorensen Limited Partnership. So we'll talk a little yeah. bit about your investment approach, but a wide range of experiences on um, serving on boards and serving as an educator and serving as a leader. So mm-hmm. a little bit of the conversation will weave around those. But I want to start with your experience on the Whole Foods board from 1994 to today. What was different about Whole Foods back in 1994? from today and what has been essentially the same? What seeds were planted in 1994 that that you can see that thread all the way through and what things you would not have expected to have played out Mm -hmm. over the last 20 years?
1: Well, let me preface my remarks by the fact that um, I have learned more from my experience as a board member at Whole Foods than uh, from all the rest of the boards and in many ways from the rest of my career learn more about uh, management and how companies should be managed. I went on the board in 1994 I think there were 15 stores it was shortly after they went public and there had been some venture capitalist uh, firms that had invested in Whole Foods and typically what happens when they go public is that those folks get off the board and I was asked uh... to come on t- to the board mm. but uh, i have um, and and today as you know whole foods has more than three hundred fifty stores eighty thousand team members uh... they practice conscious capitalism and the, the as a result of that take any metric you want whole foods has uh has produced results for their investors that are quite extraordinary.
0: Something along the lines of 19, 20% a year since they came public in 1992.
1: Uh, That's, that's correct. And um, here they are in a company that has a typical P.E. of uh, in in an industry, grocery retailing, typical P.E. of 10 to 12% Mm -hmm. annually, we're up in the neighborhood of 40%. -hmm. Um, the uh, return to investors has been uh, quite extraordinary. Mm-hmm. Uh, for 17 years, they're one of, I think, four or five companies that have been every year on the list, fortune list of 100 best places uh, to work. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it all starts with uh, the tone at the top mm-hmm. in the company. Mm-hmm. Uh, as you mentioned, mm-hmm. Whole Foods practices conscious capitalism. Mm-hmm. Uh, and to me it's common sense capitalism i'm sure that in the future it's it's going to be uh tantamount to an industrial revolution Mm. here in this country i think more and more companies over time Mm. are going to practice conscious capitalism Mm. and uh what is that let me just very quickly mention uh that there are three pillars Mm for me mm-hmm. one is that companies rather than focusing single-mindedly on maximizing shareholder value should be driven by their purpose and their mission mm-hmm. primarily mm-hmm. and in the case of whole foods it's to sell the highest quality natural organic delicious food possible and help change the way people eat for the better in this country and in the countries in which we're operating and also the way agriculture is practiced for the uh, for the better that's number one pillar number two pillar led by what i would call servant leaders who see their job as creating a culture that's going to bring out the best in everybody associated with the enterprise definitely not command and control type leaders and thirdly, most importantly, that they are focusing on optimizing the return to all their stakeholders, beginning, number one, with their customers, their own team members, their partners in the supply chain, including the farmers that we get produce and, and products from and our vendors. Um, yes, their are investors who are important. But also uh, the other stakeholders are the communities that we operate in, and the environment. Hmm. And it, uh, the idea is to make it win-win for everybody—not we win, we investors win—at hmm. the at the cost That's of reversal, the rest. Quite a reversal, because it I mean is. we've had
0: at least 25 years, maybe even more, like 50 years, of the general conventional wisdom about a business is that its measuring stick is profit. And its key stakeholder is the shareholder. Its primary, first, maybe even last consideration is to try and serve the needs of the owners of the business. Mm -hmm. And what this does is essentially, I don't know if you were ranking the stakeholders as you shared them with your um, explanation of conscious capitalism, but you put shareholders right down toward the bottom. So, uh, you know, this is how we feel at The Motley Fool, too, as shareholders, that if you put us last and put everything else before us, we're most likely to get the best results over the long term. And that has obviously been what's yeah. at play in, in Whole Foods and the other companies that have been involved.
1: Well, ironically, uh, for me, uh, the epiphany has been that uh, profits are the end result of doing other, the other things well. Hmm. And if you make uh, maximizing shareholder profit... The number one goal, you're likely to do things in the short run that may not be so wise in the long run, because we live in this world, if you're a public company, you go through the tyranny of the, of the quarterly uh, analyst exercise. And if you miss by a penny, uh, you know, you get dinged pretty badly. And that often has led, I think, managements and boards uh, to approve things and to do things that are penny-wise and pound-foolish. F- mm-hmm. Maybe you make that, that what the ana- analyst's expectation is for the quarter, mm-hmm. but in the long run, if you're really purpose-mission driven, mm-hmm. in the long run you're going to benefit your investors uh, much more mm-hmm. if you do things that are long-run in their impact and Hofu is a perfect example of that. I mean, it's been an extraordinary return for their mm. investors. I don't know exactly the figure right now, but if you had invested a hundred thousand dollars at the time of the IPO, mm. I think it's probably something in the neighborhood of uh, that would be worth about two point seven million dollars. I mean,
0: I yeah, I feel it may even be higher. It may, may even yeah. be over three. Yeah. Th- maybe it's over yeah. three
1: thousand. Yeah. Now the the, yeah. the stock is selling in the. Uh, been an incredible- After this, splits in, yeah. in, in the $59 range Where do you think recently. Whole Foods is
0: in its journey as an organization? I mean, um, we like to dream that organizations will live forever. Um, some live for centuries. I mean, there are mm-hmm. companies, Japanese companies, that have been around yeah. for 600, 700 years. So where do you see Whole Foods in terms of its accomplishment of its mission, of, of, mm-hmm. of fulfillment of its purpose?
1: I think it's just getting started. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been around for thirty years uh... when it got into the business uh... the consumption of organic food was less than one percent it's now up around i think fifteen percent something uh, in the in the neighborhood of of, of that and the um, uh... we uh... or i say we the, the management has has said that uh... here in america uh, we could uh... Sustain at least a thousand stores. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have 350 now. We have some stores in Canada mm-hmm. and in uh, England at mm-hmm. the at at this point. So there's some opportunity for some international mm-hmm. uh, continued expansive mm-hmm. uh, expansion. Whole Foods is so creative, and they. Uh, one thing in terms of conscious capital, and I think everybody ought to understand that um, big business in this country is um, under attack today. We have the one percent movement, and so forth. I think There's Raj. Distrust.
0: We talk, we talked to Raj earlier today, and he points out that big business has a lower um, uh, favor score than in the House than, of than the Congress. <laughs> and yeah. Congress says,
1: yeah. yeah. Uh, And I think part of that is because there is not a great deal of trust. And that in turn, I think has to do with some sort of simple things. One is um, uh, the compensation of CEOs and the people at the top, which Today, if you take the Fortune 500 companies, it's something in the neighborhood of 400 times. Mm-hmm. And Whole Foods has a rule of 19. Nobody can earn more than 19 times in cash and, and bonus mm-hmm. at compensation. And you have no idea how much trust that builds within the organization. Mm-hmm. And that trust factor is priceless. Mm-hmm. And also, Whole Foods has a, a policy of, pushing responsibility and authority down to the, uh, the, 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 down to the, to the person who's running the cash register or bagging groceries mm-hmm. if they have good ideas mm-hmm. Whole Foods will give them a try mm-hmm. and the idea will experiment will try mm-hmm. and uh, it's not contra- command and control mm-hmm. if it works terrific it'll spread throughout the rest of the organization otherwise it wouldn't Whole Foods has so many other things, and it, but the point I would make is that there are a lot of companies that talk about corporate social responsibility and that sort of thing. Too often it's greenwashing, and you appoint a vice president of corporate social responsibility. Let's clean up the mess that we've been making. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I won't name names, mm-hmm. but I could mm-hmm. name mm-hmm. names mm-hmm. of companies who, who do that. Uh, at Whole Foods, it starts with the top. There's a, uh, a, a genuine belief in this conscious capitalism approach toward management that starts with uh, the co-CEOs, John Mackey and Walter Robb, and goes right through the entire structure of of the company. It's very powerful. Um, What
0: percentage of big businesses, I know you don't have a number or any, I mean, you're literally just going to grab into the darkness on this, but what percentage of big businesses, do you think, or public companies overall, do you think are demonstrating a high level of consciousness, or in the zone of where yeah. Whole Foods is? Is Whole Foods a massive outlier? They're, they're one in thousands, or um, they're, they're is, it's
1: 50-50? Well, you talked with Raj Sasodia who was John Mackey's co-author of the Conscious Capitalism book, which I would recommend mm-hmm. to any of your, your viewers or, 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 or listeners uh, today. And uh, Raj earlier wrote a book called Firms of Endearment. I think he looked at 28 pretty good-sized companies that uh, have been practicing conscious capitalism. He probably told you about the, um, the kinds of incredible results. Yeah. It is possible to do well while doing good. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's a growing number, but I have to be honest with you, Tom. Um, it's very, very hard to change the culture of a big company, and particularly if you don't have buy in at the very senior levels and even and the board yeah,
0: the board becomes key. You can have a CEO yeah. who wants to make a big shift at a large food company that knows internally that it's putting food or drink out there that's not um, truly yeah. beneficial to their customers, but you, you you might lose your job quickly as the CEO with the wrong board
1: there uh, I think you're absolutely uh, right. I've sort of said I want to spend a lot of the rest of my life focusing on the next generation. Mm -hmm. So I've been going around to various business schools and so forth and talking to uh, the leaders of tomorrow Mm -hmm. uh, who are in MBA programs or even undergraduate programs. I'm very encouraged by the the idealism Mm -hmm. I see in this millennial generation. It's getting
0: tougher. It's getting harder and harder for companies to hide. And yeah. so I think younger people understand that better than any of us. They understand what the technology is doing and it's, it's creeping into all aspects of an organization's life. And so you're not gonna be able to keep that secret very long if you're doing something that's taking advantage of one of your stakeholders.
1: Well, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, and it's, it's evolutionary. Mm-hmm. Um, a year ago, I was on a panel with Seth, Seth Goldman, mm-hmm who was the founder of Honest Tea Yeah, and interviewed also him last uh, week. Uh, uh, Pat Russo, who's the lead director at General Motors and on the board of HP and mm. uh, who had had a distinguished career in the telecommunication uh, field before. And uh, the subject was um, just what you mentioned. Is it possible to have a sense of conscious capitalism with, with uh, large established companies. Mm -hmm. And Pat talked about how incredibly difficult it is to change the culture at a place like General Motors and and Hewlett-Packard, where David Packard and Jim Mm -hmm. Hewlett would probably be Uh, turning over in their graves if they saw what's happening today, and and GM as well. I mean, it's like the Titanic, Mm -hmm. Uh, very difficult. Mm -hmm seth talked about is it possible for a company that practices conscious capitalism to keep its soul after it's been acquired Mm -hmm. by a Mm coca-cola and uh we joked a little bit about that Uh, he is very happy about the fact that coca-cola has endorsed what he's trying to do and has given him a lot of latitude Mm -hmm. Uh, he and his partner barry Mm to Mm-hmm. to run that that company uh, with the uh, tenets of conscious, what I would call conscious capitalism mm-hmm. and he was joking a little bit that uh, he's hoping to do a re- reverse takeover of the well, culture. You know, in my interview I said Co- Seth, Co- if,
0: if Coke wants to be really progressive you should be CEO. I mean you have the best chance no. of getting this company ready for the next 25 years and I'm right. not saying that in any condemnatory way I just don't think that that business is going to be relevant unless it Takes honesty-like yeah. approaches, and you know, hopefully, it will.
1: Well, I hope you're you're right on yeah. that. But uh, uh, so you know, so those glimmer glimmers of right, f- right. of hope. So I want to take another comp-
0: few other companies. Just yes. you can give a couple little bullets on your experience there. What you learned? What did you learn from being on the board at Eaton Vance? First of all, what does Eaton Vance do? We talk about at the Motley Fool that there are a certain number of great investments out there that thrive for the investor because they're unknown. The stock market is an auction market. Not everything is the big, bold, well known customer brand, consumer brand. Yeah. Some of them are just these businesses that are so well run. And because the market doesn't really know about them, you can get a discounted price. And Eaton Vance is still unknown to. I mean, if you asked how many people in America know Eaton Vance, it's got to be less than 5% that would raise their hand. Mm-hmm. And look at what the returns were during your uh, tenure. You were there for
1: 17 years, 17 years. yes. Well, it's interesting you should add. Eaton Vance is uh, basically a mutual fund company that uh, manages something north of $200 billion now. Uh, They are based in Boston. They don't have uh, a lot of flashy stars in it. Uh, They're homegrown, uh, wonderfully managed, I think. And of all the companies that were on the uh, New York Stock Exchange in 1980, for the ensuing 25 years to 2010, I think, they had the highest cumulative uh, return on investment, annual uh, return on investment to their, to their customers, I think uh, in the neighborhood of 30%, give yeah. or take. And w- w- when after, after 20 years, Barons came out, and uh, the headline was Eaten Who? Yeah. Uh, people didn't know this, but it's yeah. been a wonderful company. Well, that's and a company
0: you put $20,000 in when they went public, and today you'd have more than $4 million yeah. from that. Yeah,
1: yeah. it's yeah. it's uh, been a. Um, what did you learn at Eaton Vance, or what,
0: what, what was special or remarkable about that that an investor should be looking for when they study other companies?
1: Well, I don't know. They didn't get infected with uh, um, what I would call the uh, financial services New York disease. Uh, that uh, they just uh, first of all, you're saying that as been, a Red Sox fan too. Yeah, right? uh, <laughs> 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 they 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 uh, they don't have a star system. Hmm. Um, they are extraordinarily creative. They came up with a hub and spoke approach. Uh, hmm. they, for a long time, they were very very strong in fixed uh, income. Hmm. Uh, now the equity side has been has been good, but they've been quite creative with the. Uh, with the products. Is there there a long
0: tenured leadership at the company?
1: Well, yes. Uh, Interestingly, um, uh, in the time I was there, uh, Dozier Gardner, who was a classmate of mine at the Harvard Business School in 1959, was a longtime CEO. And then he was followed up by Jim Hawkes, who actually had been a student of mine at the Harvard Business School uh, for a number of years. Um, and, uh, they, they tend to keep the CEOs, uh, longer, mm-hmm. uh, than most other places do. And they're all, they're home growing. The mm-hmm. culture is, mm-hmm. is, um, let's talk about Polaroid.
0: And we mentioned, we talked a little bit off camera about, yeah. um, disruptive innovation, Clayton Christensen and what can happen to a business. When were you on the Polaroid board board and what did you learn from that experience?
1: Well, um. What I really learned from that experience is how companies have to recognize early on disruptive technologies and they either have to jump on board with them or they're going to uh, go the way of the Polaroids. Mm-hmm. I was on the board of Polaroid for 15 years. Uh, I actually went on the board when Edwin Land, Din Land, uh, stepped down from the board, retired. and. Um, You may remember back in the 60s, uh, Polaroid was one of the Mm nifty-fifty. It also had a brand that was in the top 10 brands uh, internationally Mm -hmm. in the world. Instant photography, what an incredible uh, disruptive technology Mm -hmm. at that time. Mm -hmm. Uh, The problem was that um, instant photography was uh, was based on wet chemistry. They had a lot of chemists, uh, scientists, and developers, and mm-hmm. so forth. And along came this little thing called digital imaging. Well, it'll never amount to anything. Everybody's mm-hmm. going to w- always want to have an instant mm-hmm. hard copy, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and they, they didn't put enough effort into making that transition. And I guess you
0: were making the point here that the chemists didn't have a built-in reason to get excited About that. That would put all of their work at risk.
1: Exactly. And so
0: that's one of the big challenges with the disruptive technology that comes along is you have an installed base of of employees who are all bought into a particular tool or way of doing business, and it it almost completely undermines them to go against that.
1: And, you know, uh, Eastman Kodak is finding that. We thought that was going to happen early on. It took an extra Ten years, just a little anecdote Uh, on September 11th, 2001, we went into a Polaroid board meeting at nine o'clock, nine a.m. in the morning, Uh, the purpose of main purpose of which was to um, to make the decision to go into Chapter 11 bankruptcy at five past nine. Gary DiCamillo's assistant, Gary was the CEO, came into the room and handed him a little piece of paper and said that one of the World uh, World Trade Towers had just been hit. And we immediately adjourned the meeting. We went to the next room and we, as a board, rather than taking action at that time, we watched the second plane going into the second tower, which was a very, um, you know, Totally tragic thing, and we put off for a while that uh, that decision, but I'll always associate in my mind that disaster with the disaster of uh, Polaroid declaring uh, bankruptcy. Now another industry, uh, I sat on the board of affiliated publications and all, of which was a parent of the Boston Globe, and also on the Boston Globe um, newspaper mm. board. Another instance. Of uh, of disruptive technology, which we see playing out across the country yeah. today, everybody's always going to want a, a daily newspaper. Yeah. Well, when I was on the board of uh, the Boston Globe uh, in the in the '90s and so forth, and they had a circulation of 800,000 a year in. Um, on Sundays and 500,000 daily. Uh, On Sundays, we had 90 to 100 pages of classified want added, uh, Mm -hmm. uh, either help wanted Mm -hmm. automotive or real estate advertising in the classified section, which is where newspapers made all their money. Mm -hmm. Now it's four or five pages. Mm -hmm. Uh, Social media came along and and the internet and has leveled it. And as you perhaps remember, we sold um, in 19, I believe it was 90, mid 90s uh, sold the Globe to the New York Times for one point one billion dollars, the biggest um, the biggest um, newspaper sale in up to that time. And the reason we sold it was because in 1896, the Jordan family and the Taylor family had set up a 100 year trust. And by the mid-'90s, there were something like 158 uh, descendants of the Taylor family. So it wasn't here
0: comes a major tsunami of disruption. No, we said— It was, we can't handle all these stakeholders. Well,
1: that's right. And it was, let's pick our own bridegroom. Hmm. And uh, the uh, majority of people wanted to get together with The New York Times because the the value system was in sync. So it was a reversal
0: of the Babe Ruth uh, transaction.
1: A little bit. I was uh, not. Uh, I thought we should, at the time, uh, look for an acquirer in the Molly Media area, and I had in mind Capital Cities ABC because I knew Tom Murphy at that time. I it was a fantastic company; they probably would have been interested. But uh, because you know the politics of mm-hmm. the Globe and the Times were pretty much the We saw it. anyway. Fast forward to this past year. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Globe resold the Times plus a few other uh, businesses they were involved in to John Henry who owns the, new, uh, the Red Sox mm-hmm. for $70 million and the New York Times uh, uh, kept all the liabilities. Mm-hmm. It's incredible.
0: Does that cause you to think when a major disruption comes the best thing to do is sell?
1: No. Uh, if you see it coming earlier, early enough, mm-hmm. and you can jump on that. Mm-hmm. Bandwagon, it's good. Although there's, not, I can't. Can you think of too many examples of companies hard. that have been able to uh, make you know, that transition?
0: I think it's it's. Uh, it, it would be a very good study to do, and I should yeah. be able to call recall some names. I was thinking on the other side of it, like the Thompson family, Thompson Reuters now, and how yeah. they just wholesale started selling newspapers when they saw digital
1: coming along, yeah. and that ended up. Well, know, I think that's happened to, through the whole uh, that whole newspaper. Um, in a way, the they industry. in a way they
0: made the transition, right? They went from a newspaper-based, <coughs> largely media-based, newspaper-based business into digital by, by making some transactions. So, um, but but and
1: you know the, uh, the time moves so quickly now in innovation. I mean, look at Nokia today. Yeah, it's incredible. They were on the forefront, and already they are yeah. are, are, are are struggling, and the 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 half life of an innovation. Mm-hmm is so short now, particularly when you're talking about the internet or about cell phones and or computers and that, yeah. that, that sort of thing.
0: I love Raj's statistic um, that in 1995, less than half the world's population had ever made a phone call. And now, it literally that, everybody it, And there are
1: more has, telephone numbers in existence than, the, than the, there are people yeah, in, yeah, in the world. Yeah.
0: So um, Bud, you're 70, are you 79 years old now?
1: 80 years old. 80 years old. About two weeks ago. At the 80th. 80, How's you know, retirement? retirement? Huh. What's that <laughs> what, What's that word? Retirement? No, listen. I, uh, what is your philosophy
0: on retirement?
1: Uh, well, my idea, if you think back to the, the 1930s, 1936, when Social Security came in, life expectancy for males in America was 66. That's why they picked 65. Hmm. I think retirement... Uh, for some people, is is terrific for me anyway, and I would encourage others to the extent that, that um, what you do in your life with your work ought to not be separate from your recreation or anything I mean it's all integrated
0: ideally, it enhances your overall experience rather than wears you down
1: and my sense is eighty is the new sixty or something okay. well, actually i the the uh internet I got something an email saying what's your real age mm-hmm. right and I went through and I answered all those huh. questions and i i don 't know it came out that i 'm something like sixty four uh, <laughs> and
0: and were you eating a plant-based, dark, leafy green uh, diet before joining the Whole Foods board? Or did Uh, you make changes based on this experience? I have learned so
1: much about that from Whole Foods uh, as well, Uh, just as a little bit of an aside. With the thought that good health begins at home, Whole Foods has uh, a two-pronged program. One that for their own team members, everybody who works at Whole Foods gets a 20% discount card for shopping at Whole Foods. But if you're willing at, on a voluntary basis to get yourself screened at company expense against four criteria, are you a smoker or non-smoker, mm-hmm. what's your blood pressure, what's your uh, cholesterol count, what's your body mass index. Mm-hmm. Um, If you're a non-smoker and your blood pressure is under 115 over 75 and your cholesterol total is under 150 or the bad stuff, the LDL, Mm. is under 75, if your body mass index is under 24, you get a a platinum discount card that's 30% off. Mm. And in between, with less stringent criteria, Mm. uh, you can get a bronze, a silver, Mm. and a gold. Mm. Mm. And that's been hugely popular. Mm. Mm. And they also given that two-thirds of americans are overweight and a third almost are obese mm. uh... we have obviously with eighty thousand team members people who uh... need to address that mm. those issues uh... at company expense team members can go to one of three immersion programs one is uh, ten days one is uh, uh... seven days and one is five days mm. and um, We've had over uh, almost a couple thousand people, I think, who have gone through that program, and it's yeah. remarkable. They come back, they lose fifty pounds, a hundred pounds. We've had that many, and uh, then they just become demonstration. You know, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. other people get excited right, about right, it and are right. doing it. And then we've also have uh, something called Health Starts here, where we've uh... doing a lot of things to try to educate the uh... customers well, when that you're that purpose regard. driven
0: it's amazing the number of places you can see that purpose being applied yeah. to the benefit of others um, you're an investor
1: well, a- anyway let me just finish on this yeah. whole foods thing i've got this little thing you probably can't okay, see it yeah. but it says uh... think before you eat and then it says whole foods on the other side so i've sort of changed i'm not a i'm not a vegetarian mm-hmm. or a vegan but i'm almost mm-hmm. Uh, a mm-hmm. vegetarian mm-hmm. eat just meat as a little garnish uh, mm-hmm. some fish and and, and some that. Uh, yeah. and the other is exercise yeah. i mean i live in boulder colorado mainly uh, and in boulder is probably the most physically active yeah. community in the world so uh, the week of uh, my birthday last in september about two weeks ago uh, my daughter and i Rode in something called, rode our bicycles in something called the Boulder Buffalo Classic. Hmm. We rode 111 miles wow. and 7,000 plus feet of elevation. Wow! And it's uh, I hate to be this
0: person, but who won? I'm just kidding. Yeah, you were probably we were, were a team, right?
1: We were a team. That's, and, that's great. And my daughter was very kind to me. And I'd say, Come on, Dad. <laughs> awesome. Come on. Awesome.
0: Come on. Uh, um, so um, one or two questions about your investment approach yeah. with Sorensen Limited Partnership, um, just, just what you look for. Um, we have a lot of investors who are making some private investments in their community and looking at different businesses. And what would you, How would you guide them?
1: Well, first of all, in terms of public companies, I've only invested in companies that I've been involved in. I'm a hugely long-term investor. Most of them have worked out pretty well. In the Sorenson Limited Partnership, it's a very small family Limited Partnership the Mm -hmm. limited partners are my three kids Mm -hmm. and my wife and i are are, our general partners Mm -hmm. i'm the managing general partner and sort of a one person operation because my kids have other fish to fry Mm -hmm. Uh, and we have invested all in very early stage non-public companies uh, many of them in the front range of of colorado although we have one that's in india and one in japan and um, uh, a couple in other places. There've been about 14 or 15 of them, of which uh, eight or nine are still uh, active. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I say active, the only my philosophy is I'll only invest in things that I have an active role to play, mm-hmm. either on their board or their advisory board. Mm-hmm. I love working with the entrepreneur mm-hmm. founders mm-hmm. Uh, and. Uh, uh, helping them to grow and develop. Uh, we've had some pretty good ones, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in the 10x uh, mm-hmm. uh, range. Uh, we've had a couple total failures, mm-hmm. uh, and we're still in the great expectation f- field with, uh, with the rest of them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But uh, a lot of entrepreneurs um, who start these companies uh, have great ideas and they're great starter-uppers, but not all of them have had too much experience in building organizations mm. uh, to grow with the growth of the company and, and maybe that's an area that I've been able to mm. be a little bit helpful in. And I must say with all of those, uh, uh, several of them have been in the sustainable mm. area. Boulder is is uh, well known mm-hmm. uh, for that. Uh, i won't go into detail as to which of those companies fall in that category Mm -hmm. but um i'm i'm uh, having a lot of fun doing that and uh hoping that i can continue doing that Mm -hmm. for a good many Mm -hmm. years to i'm like Mm -hmm. like uh, warren buffett Uh, he just the other day he said you know that uh, after he dies he's going to continue to manage the company (laughs) for at least five years (laughs) after that that. (laughs) and his first uh Message to management was now that I am dead. Here are my instructions. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so my final question is a very selfish, selfish question, and that is: What does the eighty-year-old Bud Sorensen advise to the forty-five-year-old Bud Sorensen? Look, if you look back thirty-five years, I'm forty-five now. Um, what what advice would you give to to the version of you thirty years ago?
1: Well, the version of me thirty thirty. I guess I became president of Babson when I was 40. But before that, when I was teaching at the Harvard Business School, I was teaching all about maximizing shareholder profit, Mm -hmm. Uh, very much an admirer of Milton Friedman, Mm -hmm. a lot of it sort of Jack Welsh kind of approach toward uh, uh, command and control type uh, Mm -hmm. management. I've recanted all of that. Mm -hmm. And as I say, I've learned so much from the Whole Foods experience. That to me today, I would just call that common sense capitalism, enlightened capitalism, choose whatever word you want. But this idea of being mission, if you're starting a company, uh, by the way, I joke when I talk with with students in entrepreneurship classes and I say I get probably a couple business plans a week. And I always look at the executive summary first, obviously, Mm -hmm. and two-thirds down the pages of 95% of those is a little paragraph that says, exit strategy. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. In four Mm -hmm. to six years, we are Mm -hmm. planning to uh, Mm -hmm. sell the company Mm -hmm. to a a larger company or to go public Mm -hmm. and so forth. And I I kind of sit back and say, imagine that. (laughs) You're talking about selling the company before you've even launched the company? so i 'm I'm kind of a long per I, I mm-hmm. my advice would be if you start a company, start it with about something with something that you 're passionate about uh, about the purpose and the mission of that company. start it with the thought in mind that it 's going to be a hundred year mm-hmm. uh, adventure mm-hmm. uh, for you. It may not work out mm-hmm. that way, mm-hmm. uh, and there may be some liquidity event at mm-hmm. some uh, point. I would say that um, uh, <clears throat> that keep doing it as long as you have a passion for it and the moment you no longer have a passion mm. for it mm. find something else that you do have a passion for keep your sense of humor keep your 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 zest in life and your curiosity in, uh, in life uh eat well mm. uh have a great family and live with a happy heart and get a good a lot of exercise
0: bud Sorensen, a true fool Thank you so much for sitting down with us <laughs> let me
1: before we, we stop though <laughs> let me tell you to your listeners I have such great admi- uh, admiration for Tom and Dave his brother and their entire organization a motley fuel fool I found that uh, uh, I am a, a fan of, uh, of their information and you probably get some pretty good advice from. Them. And Bud
0: wants us to shorten our marketing, and we're working on it. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Bud. Okay. It's great to see you. That is our show for today. We will be back tomorrow continuing our interview series. Uh, Taylor Muckerman will be sitting down with Jeff Miller. He's the COO of Halliburton. We will see you tomorrow. People on the show may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against Don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear.